the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. What's up, y'all? This is Bud Elliott here from the Cover 3 Podcast. College football lunch break. Really appreciate y'all taking your time out of what I'm sure a busy week following Thanksgiving. And it's been a pretty busy week for us here at, at CBS and 24-7 Sports. And happy to be joined once again by Cooper Patagna, National Recruiting Analyst from 24-7. Coop, what's going on, dude? Not too much, man. Just crazy, crazy 48 hours. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? It was great. It was great. How about you? Dude, it was, it was awesome. Did a uh, smoked a prime rib and... Uh, mother-in-law made some dirty rice, so I was able to get some of that, and that was that was about what I wanted. There you go. You know, a little, little bourbon after and, and watch the leg bowl. It was, slept pretty good. Uh, I'm glad I got my, my rest in, though, on Thursday, because this weekend and leading into Monday, we've kind of been nonstop. I, I bought a good coffee machine a couple months ago, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad I did, dude, because it, it is – we are highly caffeinated here as, as Coop sips his coffee. Um <laughs> where do you want to start from this this is kind of the more nitty-gritty you know nerdy show if you will obviously you know you worked in a number of personnel departments in, in a you know scouting and management role are you seeing any big picture stuff that, that, that ties any of these jobs together or what, what were your initial thoughts on on some of these moves I, I want to pick your brain on this yeah I thought the starting with Lincoln Riley obviously the first one to go down after they lost to Oklahoma State in Bedlam you know I think a lot of people thought especially in Baton Rouge, he was leaning uh, towards striking a deal with LSU shortly thereafter on Sunday. Seeing him go to USC in Los Angeles, I think is, it's huge for college football, I think in terms of the parity. Um, and I think this is really the jolt that the Pac-12 conference needed uh, with Lincoln Riley going out West. I think, you know, in my mind, I think there need, needs to be some some pressure applied to the decision makers out west in terms of upgrading uh, the level of football out there um, that not only fan bases have access to, but players have access to. And I think Lincoln Riley um, immediately, uh, from a credibility standpoint, uh, puts USC back uh, in, in pole position in the Pac-12 conference. And I think that's critical when you take a step back from 10,000 feet. And I know we're in a we're going to get into it uh, a little later here on maybe why he made that decision. Um, you know, but I think it has huge implications, not only for USC and the PAC 12 conference, but for Oklahoma, which I think is super fascinating to see how they approach this job because the job that he's done there at OU uh, and, and what he's done to reinforce the brand and the brand's credibility 
which look, OU has had a ton of sex appeal uh, when it comes to on the recruiting trail and, and, and what they've been able to pull uh, to Norman, Oklahoma, which is not a flashy place. Uh, so you look at what he's been able to do at the quarterback position, what he's been able to do at the skill position. It's going to be interesting to see if OU and the decision makers at OU factor that into ever uh, into whoever they decide to hire next. I, I think that that's that's a really good point there. Um, you know, Riley Riley certainly pitched OU when he was there, but he also really pitched Lincoln Riley and the Lincoln Riley system. And that that's that's one of the dangers when you have when you have a coach leave. Um, when I think about the USC job, I, it is one of the real premier jobs in sports if it has its act together. And you, know, you go back to the Reggie Bush thing. I think in hindsight, we would all agree the penalties they got for that were uh, a result of kind of a, a crooked NCAA committee at the time, uh, you know, led by Paul D., who's no longer here. Uh, now, nowadays, they probably wouldn't get the same level of penalties for something that was orchestrated you know, by, by an agent. And then they, they make two, one certainly ridiculous, one a little bit questionable athletic director hires, you know, the, the one being Lynn Swan, which uh, everybody in the industry said, that's not out of the box, that's just out of their minds. And the results followed and they were not, you know, not great. If USC is, has its act together, that's as good of a job as almost any in the country. And they, when they're rolling, Coop, they kind of have right of first refusal on every kid west of the Rocky Mountains, not I mean, or almost every kid. Yeah, they do. And and the reality is, on the West Coast, people want to go to USC. That's it. And you still have to overcome that, even when USC was down. Uh, you know, when we're at Oregon, when we're at Washington, USC was still a factor. The only thing really holding USC back at that point was Clay Helton and that coaching staff. Uh, just to be blunt, um, but now. They don't have that. They have somebody in Lincoln Riley who's a bona fide rock star who's going to go out there and kind of fits what they want to do uh, from a program standpoint, not only what we talked about, but fireworks and offense schematically uh, kind of fits L.A. Uh, and that play style and the type of people that you're going to attract. And I think for USC in the longest time, I think it's just been able to keep those guys home. And, and, and there's plenty of talent there. We've already seen it with Malachi Nelson. DeAndre Moore looks like he's going to stay put. Makai Lemon, a couple of these guys committed to Oklahoma that now they don't have a reason to leave home. You know, so I think USC has done a good job, even in the Clay Helton era, uh, of attracting really good players on the skill positions, on the perimeter, both offense and defense. I think for them, the key with Lincoln Riley is going to, to be develop an identity along the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Uh, and I think that's going to be the biggest thing for him. It's, it's going to be interesting starting with this cycle. You look at it, there's a couple key guys out there, Josh Connerly out in the state of Washington, uh, who just came off a trip, official visit to uh, Michigan and uh, Ohio State. So I think that's important. Ernest Green's another guy. And, and look, I, I, I guess what I'm saying is the opportunity is there for USC uh, to go out and make an impact. And we talk about how hard that is for a coach, a new coach coming in within that two-week window and, and putting a class together that he likes. Lincoln Riley and USC are the exception to the rule. They can still put yeah. together a very dynamic class 
in a two-week window. Exactly right. They they really can can be that exception. Um, <clears throat> one of my favorite things that, that that happens almost every year is I'll see Greg Biggins at the Under Armour game here in Orlando where I live, and he'll be like, "Damn, we don't have kids like that out west." Just speaking about about the big dudes that he sees in the South. I'm like, Greg, don't you mean you don't have as many? He's like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. And that that's what my research has shown on the West Coast. The number of four and five star players who are over 270, like, you know, pounds, has been declining for about a decade and a half. Uh, there are definitely enough players out there to sustain an elite level USC. I'm not sure there's enough players on the West Coast size-wise you know, like size, speed, athletic combo to, you know, to maintain a bunch of elite programs on the West coast, especially as some of that talent, some of those families have moved, you know, to Vegas. Some of them said, screw Vegas. I'm going to go all the way, you know, to, to Dallas or, or, or Houston. We, we, we've seen a lot of, a lot of kids we've interviewed in Texas uh, in recent years. Like, Oh, I'm actually from California. Like, Oh, okay. That's, that's interesting. My, my family moved for uh, a variety of factors, you know, be it, taxes or home prices or you know whatever um but usc is the one school that really doesn't have to worry about that as long as it has its act together it is a true control your own destiny program and that's not to take a shot at oregon or washington but like you you work both those places how much tougher are the oregon or washington job if usc has alignment from administratively you know competent coaching staff the boosters are all aligned that, that type of thing yeah, we've seen Washington dip since Peterson's left. So I, I, I don't know if there is much in that conversation. I think the one that's going to be interesting is how does Oregon adjust, right? If, if USC goes out on the recruiting trail and performs the way that they're capable of performing, then Oregon is really the one team on the West Coast um, that could see some drawback from that. So it's going to be interesting. Obviously, I know we're, we're planning on talking about Mario Cristobal here too, this segment as well. But it's going to be interesting to see how they pivot. But you also look at Oregon and what they've done. They have some brand power as well. I mean, that that O has some national reach. You look at what they've done in the trenches this year. Two guys committed from the state of Texas and Calvin Banks and uh, in, in Cam Williams. So um, they're not necessarily married to the West Coast and they're not necessarily afraid to take some chances a little bit east of Texas. I think that's kind of where Oregon and USC are different. Now you look at USC right now, if, if I'm USC, there's plenty of opportunity still on the board. We talked about the offensive line. We talked about Hiro Kano, who's still out there. You talk about Anthony Lucas, who's still out there. Those guys, USC's mentality, in my opinion, is you have to come through us. It, it, it starts and it ends with USC. And that has to be the mentality in terms of the best players on the West Coast, not even Southern California. But the West Coast itself, USC has to be the place in terms of if you want to stay on the West Coast, you want to compete for a national championship, then it goes through Lincoln Riley. Uh, and that's what USC has to establish, in my opinion. So I want to talk Cristobal a little more in a second, but but I, I want to kind of close the the Lincoln Riley uh, ga or you know loop here. Do you think this was about Lincoln thinking he couldn't compete in the SEC, or do you think maybe there was – uh, him looking around and saying, if we recruit our butts off, are we like the fifth most talented roster in the SEC on a yearly basis? And if so, will our administration adjust to that and, and you know, recalculate 
its expectations immediately or will it take some time? Because from my perspective, I think Oklahoma could do really well in the SEC. But I don't know that they're going to be consistently 11-1 in the SEC because not many are, uh, not named Nick Saban or, you know, recent years, Kirby. And that could be a hard expectation adjustment uh, that might take some time for whomever is the new Oklahoma coach. Yeah, I think it depends what the vantage point is of the individual, right? We talked about that before the show with Lincoln Riley. You know, to me, it's like we we only know what we see and what we hear on the surface. I wouldn't be surprised if there was something that ran deeper at Oklahoma, whether it was in the administration, whether it's in the president's office, whatever it is that turned off Lincoln Riley at some point for him to make this type of move. I mean, Oklahoma was just about as successful as a program in the last however many years since the college football playoff era than anybody outside of Alabama. Uh, And Lincoln Riley's done a tremendous job the way, especially with no shortage uh, of being able to recruit high-level talent, especially at the quarterback position, to Norman. Um, I, I just think it's interesting. Like, to me, when I take a step back, I understand taking the USC job. I understand it. There's a lot of reasons to take it. I think it's the path of least resistance. Uh, obviously, the the financial uh, investment into the program, what USC has done, I think they have separated themselves from the rest of the pack in terms of how they view themselves, and, and that's what they've needed to do, uh, and they're bought into that. Um, I get why he would make the move. I'm just shocked he did it, quite honestly. Um, and, and that's kind of how I feel. I think there's plenty of reasons for him to leave. I just never saw him leaving. I mean, Cooper, in the history of the sport, you don't see guys who are doing really well at major programs leave for other major programs. Um, and most recently, I guess we would go to Jimbo FSU, but like they had quit recruiting on 17. So it's pretty obvious he was going to go somewhere. He was feuding with the administration. Going further back, maybe Jackie Sherrill going from Pittsburgh to Texas A&M in, what, the 80s? Or Johnny Majors going to Tennessee from, again, from Pittsburgh, actually, ironically. But, like, the fact that we're having to to reach back to, you know, black and white TV days is, says something. It is fairly rare to leave a a true blue blood type program to go to another, as long as you have things going well there. And he certainly did. I do think Oklahoma is going to be a pretty damn attractive place to go coach, though. Yeah, and I will say this before we move on to OU. It's like the SEC is a bloodbath. I mean, it really is. The expectations are sky high. I think Lincoln in some way, shape, or form probably sees that, sees the the coaching turnover that has taken place ever since Nick Saban really entered that conference uh, at, at Alabama. And for him, he might be looking at it a little bit differently and saying, hey, I want to put myself in a situation – that is more sustainable and a more secure situation with security in college football, we all know is extremely difficult to come by. Uh, and we talk about that conference and we talk about the PAC 12. He's on the path to the least resistance and he can build the sustainable power at USC with not much competition outside of Oregon. And that's the reality of the situation of the PAC 12 and USC needed this, but the PAC 12 needed it more. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how the rest of the conference and athletic directors adjust as they make hires going forward. Completely agree. I mean, Arizona State, I think at some point is likely to open unless the NCAA stuff just goes away magically. They only have five commitments uh, verbally right now. UCLA, 
I think they're going to keep Chip Kelly at this point. But if, if, if USC is cooking, Oregon is a great two, especially with, with, with how it's humming right now. You know, wh- whether it's Washington or Arizona State or Utah or UCLA, if you're George Klyovkov, the, the Pac-12 commissioner, you're really happy today because you know th- those guys are, are great threes or fours. And the conference all of a sudden has always had some depth. It has not had that team where you're like, I think that team can really win a natty. And as we've seen recently with Clemson and the ACC, uh, conference perception is sort of disproportionately based on your best team. People know that the ACC is not a great league right now, but when Clemson's running through it, they don't really seem to care. And if if Riley gets USC right, uh, certainly they will have the possibility to do that there. Uh, he also has a really interesting call to make, and, and I don't know if he's already made the call. What do you do with Jackson Dart and the potential of Caleb Williams? I mean, if you're Lincoln Riley, how do you handle that? That's a great question. I mean, that's something that you're having in, in internal conversations about. Look, if Caleb Williams wants to come, you're taking him. It is what it is. You, you deal with whatever you got to do. Malachi Nelson, I'm sure, is going to be in the fold here uh, shortly as well. Um, but if Caleb Williams wants to come, you're not turning him away. I mean, that's, that's somebody – obviously that he has a relationship with. It kind of gives you a quick fix uh, in that conference. Um, somebody that he's extremely comfortable with as a play caller uh, and, and look is day one can come in and have an immediate impact. And this is a guy as a freshman, we're talking about being in the Heisman race. Yeah. Uh, and as much as, you know, you, you might have uh, affection for Jackson Dart and what you think he can be, it's just hard to me as a decision maker to say, hey, we know what Caleb Williams is. If he wants to come here, we have to take him. Uh, at least if I'm in the room, there's no way you're telling that guy no. Not in and, my and, and you've seen him for thousands of throws in practice, not, not, not just the 150 throws that we've seen him make you know, on, on the college ball field on game day. So Riley's definitely the right guy you know, to, to make that call, uh, being that he's seen them all. What, what do you do if you're Oklahoma? Is there a guy – uh, or to stand out to you that would be a fit there this this important time it's it's super interesting because the first thing i thought about when when lincoln riley left was like okay what do you do it's like you talked about it he kind of created this brand but the brand was more about the individual than it really was about the program you know and so when he leaves you kind of see this kind of shockwave right like think about the guys that have decommitted and yeah they're from from california uh, if you look at Malachi Nelson, you look at some of the guys that they were able to pluck from the West Coast. You look at Ennis, who's one of the, the top receivers in the country in 2023 from Florida. What Lincoln Riley was able to do and establish there from a recruiting blueprint standpoint was really intriguing uh, and is not something that we've seen done at a lot of places. And Oklahoma is, is without a doubt a blue blood program, but what he's been able to do in terms of flexing his muscle to go coast to coast to get some of the best skilled players in the country, whether that was in D.C. with Caleb Williams or whether that was in California with Malachi Nelson, it's been pretty remarkable. Uh, so with Oklahoma, I think that's a question you're kind of asking yourself. We, we've kind of built this machine in this offensive identity in this conference that 
has a lot of people and a lot of recruits in this day and age attracted to it. They, they see the attraction of coming to play in a system like that. So whether or not you want to stick with that, I think that's that's a really important question for Oklahoma decision makers. Um, it's more philosophically, what do we want to do? Um, and I think the great gravitational pull to Oklahoma was the style of play that they were playing with. So immediately what I think of is Josh Heupel, who I think has outperformed all expectations at Tennessee and has Tennessee out of all places playing a very exciting brand of football. Um, and he's established, obviously, the job that he's done at Central Florida, the job that he's done in year one at Tennessee. I look at him. And then there's a couple different routes, right? Brent Venables has been thrown around. He's intriguing, obviously, with the experience that he has under Dabo Sweeney. You look at Matt Campbell, who's just a little bit uh, against the grain, pretty different than Lincoln Riley in the way that he's built his program, but has had a lot of success. And then I think there, there are a couple other guys, too. You look at Lane Kiffin. You look at Marcus Freeman right, who, who now is being thrown into this category of potentially being the next head coach at Notre Dame. So I think there are a couple different ways that, that you can look at it. Um, but certainly, if I'm Oklahoma, the three guys I'm probably looking at are Heupel, Matt Campbell, and either, uh, excuse me, Lane Kiffin and, and Brent Venable. So three or four guys that I kind of have circled on my list that kind of give you a different variety of things and offer a different variety of things. I think it's really just going to come down to the AD and what they think that the best fit is going forward. For sure. And, you know, Joe Stadleone is known as one of the better athletic directors in, in college football. And I mean, your reputation is largely shaped on, on who you hire in football. And he nailed the Bob Stoops hire and uh, has kind of rode that ever since. And, and obviously the Lincoln Riley transition went extremely well for them. Obviously Oklahoma fans are not a huge fan of his, at the moment, uh, but still, I, I think they would take the last five years uh, absolutely if they could do it over again. They, they've had a, a great run there. You know, with, with Heupel, obviously, you would keep the high-flying offense going. Um, my only concern here uh, with him, and, and since we do talk recruiting on this show more than we do on Cover 3, I want to bring up is, is they only have you know two four-star players committed right now in that first class that Heupel's signing, or that, that first full class, rather. And typically that's the class that kind of makes or breaks you, you know, is that first full class. You have to get that because that means those are the guys in year two when you're in year three as a coach. And, you know, if, if you're Oklahoma, one of your concerns has to be, we have to go and recruit in the SEC and be competitive with that. And that is a much more challenging recruiting landscape than recruiting in the Big 12. Recruiting in the Big 12, if Oklahoma did a great job, it was first. If it did an okay job, it was second. Right. Like no, nobody else was going to touch them talent wise. And oftentimes they were first because Texas didn't consistently have its act together over the last, I guess, decade now. Um, does that concern you at all? Their, their, their lack of top end talent that he's got to Tennessee, in spite of the fact that on the field, they've had a really nice year. No, I think you, you kind of have to weigh what you put value in, you know, and, and I think that's important. Like, uh, I think it'd be interesting to kind of get their take on, like, how do you see Hypel? How do you see Kiffin? You know, because I think they are they are pretty similar in terms of recruiting. I know Ole Miss has done a really good job, but they've kind of pieced that together through having a dynamic quarterback and done a really good job in the transfer portal in terms of making Ole Miss a more win-now destination uh, than recruiting those guys and developing them down the road. So I do think it's a conversation. I think it, it has a lot to do with, with infrastructure and vision. Um, but like I said, 
I think Hypel will reap the benefits from what they've done year one. Now they need to capitalize. I think it's different. Hypel coming into Oklahoma year one, where Oklahoma right. has more of a, a brand and what they've built uh, and, and is more ready from a recruiting standpoint to go out and have early success. And I think Hypel will now see more success on the back end because of what he's accomplished year one, if that makes sense. Certainly. All right, let's, uh, let's turn the page to program you're really familiar with. Uh, LSU, Brian Kelly, the floor is yours. What, what, what was your reaction? What just give it to me? Yeah, it was, um, you know, wasn't the first time I thought about it. Like I, I thought about his name earlier in the process and I'm like, I wonder why there isn't more buzz, uh, you know, and it, to me, I think it's, it's an interesting hire in terms of the fit. That's kind of what I look like, look at first. Um, but you're getting a proven winner. You, you, you're getting somebody that can come in and can win games consistently. Like when I look at him, I kind of look at him in the same spectrum as Jimbo Fisher, more of a traditional offense, 12 personnel. Um, you know what you're getting from a coaching standpoint. And I think that's really important for LSU. They need stability. They need continuity. They need a guy who can build a foundation, build a culture. I think Brian Kelly is going to give you all those things. I think the biggest question mark is Kenny Hackett in the SEC on the recruiting trail. Uh, and he's made some really good hires. And I, and I think that's just going to be even more important when he gets down to the SEC, who he's surrounding himself with. Uh, obviously, both coordinator positions. And I haven't checked my phone here since we've gotten on. But last before I checked it is that they're making a run at Marcus Freeman uh, as a defensive coordinator. So those type of hires are going to be really pivotal for Brian Kelly. I think, you know, I, and I, I tweeted about this last night, his ceiling is dictated by what he's surrounded by. Um, and I, I think that's really important. I think he's a high floor type of prospect as a coach. You know what you're getting out of him. I think you expect to be in that nine to 10 uh, win realm year in and year out. It's just whether or not he's going to be able uh, to accomplish the things that he needs to accomplish on the recruiting trail to consistently have them competing against Alabama and Georgia in the SEC. And, and, and that's a big question. Looking at it last night and where I think LSU's flaws are as a roster, it's pretty interesting. They are very good at the skill positions. They've, they've had no issues at receiver. They've had no issues uh, in terms of their secondary, what they've been able to do at corner and defensive back, where I think they need to improve is the offensive line uh, and where Brian Kelly has done a phenomenal job at his time at Notre Dame is being able to identify uh, a lot of these prospects on the offensive offensive side of the ball and the offensive line uh, is where he's had a lot of success and especially at the tight end position too. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see if that translates uh, when he comes down to the SEC. But I think certainly it's going to be an adjustment for sure. And, and, and especially on the, on the recruiting end, I think he is a fine coach. I think he's a really good football coach, but in terms of whether or not he can get it done in recruiting in the sec is going to be the biggest question. And look, all of these candidates had those type of question marks, right? Really outside of Lincoln Riley, which was the one guy that you knew was going to be the home run higher this cycle. If he did end up leaving Oklahoma, but if this was Matt Campbell, if this was Matt rule, you were going to have the same type of questions at LSU, regardless of who it was. So, look, if this was a plan B, it was a hell of a plan B. Yeah. Um, 
you know, to go out and get Brian Kelly, who's the, the winningest coach in Notre Dame football history. Um, it will be interesting. Um, like I said, I think they're going to be, they're going to have to be super calculated with who he decides to surround himself with. Uh, and we'll see if they have a plan. I, I completely agree with all that. Um, I do think though, you, you don't leave Notre Dame for, for LSU if you're not willing, if you're not really thinking, Hey, I'm taking this job because there are guys I can get in to LSU academically and keep eligible at LSU academically. I mean, no, no offense to LSU. Like I went to Florida state. They, they, they make jokes about FSU's academics on the Simpsons. Right. But the reality here is there are a number of guys, not 50 every cycle, but two or three or four every cycle that LSU can take that Notre Dame can't take or they're smart enough not to take because they realize even though we might be able to get an exemption to get them into school, we can't keep them eligible. Or, you know, there, there are not enough majors here that we can hide these guys in. And in big-time college football, like, you've been in these meetings. That I've, I've been on the phone with coaches after get out of these meetings. It's, you know, can, can we get this kid in? Is it worth the scholarship? Like, do we think we can keep this guy eligible? At LSU, you can get him in. You can keep him eligible for the most part. Uh, now, they had, the you know, the one of the stricter weed policies, obviously – in the SEC that led to them losing two starters or, or two contributors uh, in the offseason that actually bounced, you know, other other schools uh, and, and played this year. But don't you think that's part of it is like he's he's 61 years years old. How many more cracks are you really going to get at the national title? And you want to go and be able to get that very, very elite talent that he got some of it at Notre Dame, but sometimes there are guys they just can't, they can't go after. Yeah, I think when you recruit for fit, we talked about this. It's 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 a double-edged sword. We did this at Washington, right? It raises the floor of your program in terms of what you're consistently going to get. You're going to have less off-field issues. You're going to have guys who are really good student athletes. The maintenance level is going to be low. But in terms of being able to go out there and acquire the type of athletes that can realistically put you in position to where you're competing for a playoff year in and year out or trying to win a national championship, like he's maxed out there at Notre Dame, in my opinion. Like we've seen the sample size in the playoffs. There's a big gap between one, two, three, and number four and where they've been. And he's done a phenomenal job there. Um, I just think there's another step to be taken. And in places like Notre Dame, places like UW with, with Chris Peterson, you know, that shows up. It was the same thing like we were talking about the other day. It's like, hey, we've created this really good program at Washington off the OKG philosophy, off the built for life philosophy. We want to get the right type of guys in. That's fine. You have to understand when you play the Alabama, Penn State, the Ohio States of the world, that's going to show up. That's just the reality of it because good kids don't win football games. Good players do, you know. And so I think, um, you know, I, I get that looking at it for him. Like I said, um, it's just different. It's uh, like – it's going to be a culture shock for him recruiting some of the kids that he recruited at Notre Dame than going down to the SEC in Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama in the mud recruiting some of these dudes going up against Georgia and Alabama. Like, good luck. You know, I hope you're ready for it. And, and that's the thing. I mean, he better put his boots on. He better strap on because it's a completely different ball game. Uh, and that, look, I know Brian Kelly can coach. We've talked about that. It's this recruiting piece that's that's going to be the wild card for him. That's going to be really, really interesting to watch. And and that, that's why you mentioned 
who does he surround himself with? It's going to be so important. It, it looks like they're they're likely to keep uh, Kevin Falk per some. Man, I don't even know. I'm just going to call it Twitter reports. I, I've just but my, my timeline is like flying. It seems like you know constantly. Yeah, Corey Raymond, Corey Raymond, back coach, who they should keep. Longtime good recruiter good, for them. A phenomenal job. You know, good developer. Uh, I assume if they get Freeman, Freeman's probably fine working with him. I, I would I would guess. Uh, but you, you're right. Like finding the right guys there. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. The one question I have here is, does this happen if Notre Dame didn't fail to develop Phil Dracoic, right? Because to me, and this is something I discussed with Barton before he left for Vandy, it was Notre Dame probably can win a title if they recruit their butts off and they get the real difference maker at QB. Because QB does bridge a gap sometimes with a roster. Now, if Bama's got a total stud and they have their Bama roster, then okay, good night anyway. But like, there is a path for Notre Dame to win a title if they recruit their butts off, even given their current limitations, and they nail a quarterback. And Dracovic was the one really highly rated kid who they got. They didn't they didn't develop him into a productive player. He transfers to Boston College. Now he's absolutely balling for Jeff Hathley this year. I do wonder, like, like would Brian Kelly have made this jump if he still had Dracovic and and probably another year of Dracovic next year? Yeah, I think that's a big if. I mean, would he have made the jump? Maybe you you take a look and, you know, a further step back and you look at it and you look at the quarterbacks that they've had. I, I've had a lot of conversations with Steve Woodfong about this, you know, in, in terms of the quarterback position at Notre Dame and, and what they're capable of doing. That would be the piece, like we talked about, bridging that gap when you're in the playoffs. If you have that piece right, which is the X factor, which is what Oklahoma's had every time that they've been in that um had that opportunity to play in the playoffs. They've always had that X factor, whether that was Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Jalen Hurts, one of these guys who's now they're all playing in the NFL. If that's Notre Dame, in my eyes, they certainly have the team to go out there and compete if they have that position, right? Which they haven't had, which is, 
you know, going to be a big, big part for him now at LSU is, is to get somebody uh, who's going to be dynamic, who's going to give you a chance to win every weekend. 100%. All right. So, man, I, I'm, I'm glad you came to 24-7 Sports when you did because like you, you know a lot about the LSU job. You've been in the Pac-12, which is super relevant right now. You've also worked with Luke Fickle. And I, I, that's, that's a guy you're a huge fan of. If you're Jack Swarbrick, Notre Dame athletic director, is that your first call? 110%. I mean, that's it. Like, look, I I have a ton of admiration for Marcus Freeman. I think he's going to be a great head coach. You know, I think there's two ways of looking at this, and I think Notre Dame fans are kind of in a conundrum right now. You know, Luke Fickle is going to coach his team all the way uh, through through uh, the playoffs uh, if they do end up making it. You know, I think you have to be patient with that process. I think Luke Fickle, this is the fit that he has been looking for. He's been looking for one of these tier one programs in the Midwest. Obviously a big family guy. Um, and, literally a big know, family guy. Literally a big family guy. <laughs> so I, I think this job fits Luke Fickle to a T. Uh, with the Marcus Freeman deal, you know, I, I'm not sure what they've done in the, in the last half an hour, but uh, there's no hesitation on that end to name him the interim head coach. Uh, and what I'm doing right now is is taking a temperature check on Luke Fickle, checking with his representatives and kind of seeing where his head's at. And if he's saying, hey, give me a couple weeks, let me do what I need to do and, and I'm coming, then I'm waiting. That's my guy. Um, but outside of that, I mean, that's a that's a super interesting job. And, um, you know, Marcus Freeman's kind of in, in an interesting position, too. He's going to be jockeying for this. But like if you're Notre Dame, you hire Marcus Freeman he's following up the guy that has won the most games in Notre Dame football history for a first time head coach. And I'm convicted. I have a ton of belief in Marcus Freeman. I think he's going to be a hell of a head coach. That is not an easy job for anybody to step into. Nonetheless, Marcus Freeman, that's a big job from everything that you have to do at, at Notre Dame to recruiting nationally, nationally uh, to everything that goes into it. Those are really big shoes to fill. And I think Luke Fickle is ready for that job. I think he makes a ton of sense. And in a lot of ways, I think Luke Fickle can upgrade that roster more than Brian Kelly did. Now, you're threading the needle there, but I think Luke Fickle is an elite recruiter, and I think he's going to do a good job of tapping into everything Notre Dame has to offer. And he's going to turn that roster into a legit national championship contender, not just a playoff contender. So I think Luke Fickle is the one guy that you're circling if you're Notre Dame. And look, if I'm them, I, that's it. There is nobody else. That's the guy. That's the guy I want. I'll be willing to wait a couple of weeks, whatever I got to do. So the, the the common thought among the the agents I know in the coaching space, and, and I want to run this by you, maybe you know or, or you've heard, was that you know he was going to be super patient and it was probably Notre Dame, Ohio State, Penn State, maybe a Michigan State. And – Probably not Michigan, actually. And basically just that. Otherwise, he'd be cool continuing to dominate at Cincinnati. Is that consistent with what you've heard among your coaching friends? I think that makes sense. I mean, what, what I love about Luke Fickle is, like, he knows where he's going to be in the best environment to flourish. That And, and not a lot of coaches have that. You know, I mean, I, I think you could say some questionable things about what we've seen in the last 48 hours about some of the moves that these head coaches have made. He's been very thorough, very adamant throughout the process that he's searching for the right fit uh, and, and not just for him as an individual and his family, 
but I think he knows where he's going to be the best and where his ceiling is the highest. And I think those schools you just mentioned, Franklin just signed a new deal at Penn State. Ohio right. State's got Ryan Day. I don't think he's moving any anytime soon. And then you got Mel Tucker who just signed a new 10-year contract. So if I'm Luke Fickle, I'm looking at the landscape. And if those are one of the four and Notre Dame's open now, when are you going to have another shot at this? Right. You know, so, exactly. You know, and the, um, those guys just got what? Two, two and a quarter million guaranteed between the three of them. Right. Probably not going to open anytime soon. Right. I and I know guess. this sounds crazy. If Notre, Notre Dame gets Luke Fickle, they might shake out better than what they just had. It, that's how highly I think of them. That's what I think of them in terms of a roster builder and a culture builder. I think, you know, I, I think he's a real deal. Plus, I'm bullish on the fit at one of those four schools that you talked about. I think you do. I think you do a hell of a job. Plus everything that Notre Dame has to offer between academics, between the program and Notre Dame itself. Um, you do a beautiful job marketing that school and recruiting at a national championship type level. You know, and, and there's so there's so many non-football things that can make the Notre Dame job great, but it can also trip you up if you don't navigate them in the right way. You know, and, and Fickle being somebody who understands Notre Dame's history obviously is you know well-known catholic it, the fit there does make a lot of sense I, I think that'd be the first guy i would call if for some reason it didn't work out or if, if notre dame just really wanted to get a guy in there right now which i think would be a mistake based on the the returns that, that we've seen from the early signing period uh with these first year coaches i i'd be willing to kind of punt on that on that class and just go you know go to war in the February signing period and attack the portal to the extent that Notre Dame uh, will use the portal. I know their, their high academic standards matter there as well. If for some reason they really wanted to be, uh, I don't know if you want to call it impatient, but if they wanted to get it in quicker, maybe Matt Campbell would be my second call guy who, who I think most people believe wants to stay in the Midwest. Yeah. And I think, you know, you look at, you look at Matt Campbell and it's kind of, it's going to be interesting. I mean, Marcus Freeman, has added a different dimension to what Notre Dame has been able to do recruiting wise. You look at what they've done in 22, you look at what they've done in 23. He's done a phenomenal job in a short amount of time. But like we said, we've talked about this on this show before going from a coordinator position to a head coach. I mean, obviously there's so many different responsibilities. Uh, and, and you talk about Notre Dame itself, everything that comes with that territory as well. But you look at Matt Campbell, some of the other names, like I don't expect them to get past, maybe fickle Marcus Freeman and Matt Campbell like that, that to me should be the list. And if you're Notre Dame, I think you'd be excited about any of those three. If you extend it past that, some off the wall stuff, I think you look at Pat Fitzgerald at Notre Dame is another guy in the Midwest. He's a program builder. I think maybe that kind of catches his eye a little bit. Chris Peterson, you know, I think he's a, he's a, you, he's always kind of looking for a unique fit. I think that would be a place I don't know necessarily if he wants to get back into it or not, but those would be some off the wall names of some guys that I think make sense. But I think it's those three. Uh, like you said, I think it's fickle. I think it's Marcus Freeman. I think it's Matt Campbell, but to me, like you, you don't get past Luke fickle. Yeah. Th th this is fastball down the plate, hit out of the park. Just wait for your pitch. I mean, just be willing to be a little bit patient here and, uh, and, and don't make a rash decision. Uh, other schools here. Well, you've been at Washington. Thoughts on on uh, on Kalen DeBoer? I, you, somebody asked me that the other day. I mean, like, I need to do more research. You know, um, 
in terms of him. That wouldn't be fair of me giving an opinion on a guy that I don't know much about. I know he's a winner. I think their reasoning going with somebody like that was, you know, I think they're a little jaded by hiring a defensive coach. Um, last time, obviously, that didn't work out with the hires that they made with John Donovan, an offensive coordinator. So now they have somebody offensive-minded. Uh, you look at what he's done this year, just the way uh, that he's played some of these teams, UCLA, Oregon. Uh, he's done a phenomenal job in his time at Fresno State. So I think they're really excited about his offensive acumen in terms of the bigger picture, the type of head coach, the culture builder, the CEO, all that type of stuff. I'd have to I'd have to do a little bit more of a deep dive, but I think it is a one of those high floor hires uh, that I think they're excited about. The the one thing that, w- that would encourage me a, a little bit about it is number one quarterback development and, and quarterback production. He seems to really get the most out of his quarterbacks everywhere he's been, and since he left Indiana, their offense has also kind of fallen apart. Um, so when he goes somewhere, the quarterback play gets a lot better. When he leaves, quarterback play so far has dropped off. He also was a head coach for five seasons. Now, this is NAIA. I get it. But his five seasons were loss in the semifinal, win the NAIA National Championship, loss in the championship game, national championship, national championship, 2005-2009. So while it's NAIA, and that's a huge jump to a school like Washington, there is something to be said for he's had to hire a staff He's probably had to fire somebody on a staff before like the management experience. It, I like that rather than a guy who's only been at, at, at a school for, for two years. Like it, it's not the same, but I do think that that head coaching experience, at that level is worth uh, you know something. Uh, and so yeah. that should probably be encouraging to Washington fans as well. Yeah. And I think he liked the fact that he spent a couple of seasons at Fresno as well, you know? So I think he kind of him being in the mountain West, having a little bit of the lay of the land there, Obviously, from a recruiting standpoint, I think that's I know it always comes back to recruiting with me, but that's that's another thing yeah. kind of seeing, OK, what's that going to look like for Washington uh, and how that follows? And, you know, it's just going to be interesting to see what the Pac-12 is going to look like and how they're going to adjust from a recruiting standpoint, because, I mean, from a top level talent standpoint, there's really only two teams uh, competing at a national level, and that's now going to be USC into Oregon, it's going to be like these kind of next tier teams like UW um, who've shown an ability to kind of get in that 15 to 20 range. How do they counter? Are they able to, to, to kind of get back to where they've had success late in the Chris Peterson era, uh, which they're fully capable of doing? No doubt. All right. So we got about, I don't know, five or 10 minutes left. Coop, I, I want to ask you about a guy. You, I know you've been, been grinding tape a whole lot. We, we have our new top 247 coming out. Who is a dude who you are just and like? We, we can give what are we in the forty first minute? Got you know almost a thousand people watching this live. Can you give them a little taste of somebody that, that their, their senior year tape for you? And I'm, I I didn't prep Coop for this, so he made it take a second. But like somebody who really, you're like, man, this kid is having a really nice senior year. I know we do emphasize watching that senior year tape as well because everybody develops on a different timeline, right? Some guys are studs as juniors, and some are maybe not not up there till seniors. Yeah, no, that's a good point. You know, I I think off the top of my head, and, and Gabe Brooks would be excited that I was saying this, but one guy that we've had a consensus across the board um, that we're really excited about has been Nicholas Singleton uh, from committed to Penn State from Pennsylvania as well. So um, a guy that we're really excited about, I think Penn State, what they've done 
this entire class is, has, has been uh, pretty remarkable. And I think it's going to be interesting to see now that James Franklin is locked in there for the foreseeable future. Okay. What does this look like? Because they're bringing in uh, some very dynamic talent talking with Drew Aller, uh, the number one quarterback in the, in, in the country uh, who obviously has all the tools in the physical makeup to be one of those guys that is, is quite frankly, here's his name called uh, early in the first round, maybe three or four years down the road from now. But Nick, Nicholas Singleton is kind of the first guy that kind of pops into my head. He's, he's had a phenomenal year. You look at Penn state, uh, the, the, I guess the lineage of running backs that they've had, I think he kind of, kind of fits in that mold North South runner, really good balance, body control, uh, excellent after contact can do a lot of different things. So that's one guy that sticks out. Uh, I have to go back and kind of refresh myself on a couple other names, but for sure, that's the dude between the three of us who who are kind of in charge of overseeing it that I think we're, we're all very excited about. Awesome. Uh, Apparently, Virginia Tech fans have entered the chat. Uh, do you have any? Uh, have you had any run-ins with uh, with, with Brent Pry? The, uh... I haven't. Okay. I haven't. I, I like it's a, a, another guy that I I, I don't uh, know much about. But I'd be interested with like VT. Like where'd that search go? You know, like yeah, the Marcus Freeman thing is like I don't know. Like it, like I think of it this way, and I look at a program. If you're like Virginia Tech, it's like you know this dude is going to be a hot commodity next year. So what if you're a year early? You know, like if, if you're one of those programs and whether that's Marcus Freeman or whether that's Jeff Levy, it doesn't matter who it is. You know, these guys are going to end up getting good jobs at some point. Why not take that risk, a calculated risk on a high upside coach like Marcus Freeman? Uh, and I could see all the variables being there and saying, hey, we're getting a guy who's an excellent recruiter that is very familiar with this area in the Midwest. I, I just don't like, I, w- I would love to, and maybe Marcus Freeman's not interested in that one. Right. But I would just kind of love to see that process and, and kind of what led them to, to make the decision that, that they've made. I would too. So, you know, Whit Babcock has a, the athletic director there for, for Vatech has a really good reputation. Um, you know, great reputation as a fundraiser as well. Uh, but ultimately, as an AD, you, you are judged on your football hires. You know, you, you may be kicking and screaming when, when, when they boot you out the door. Look, look how good I did at basketball. Look how good I did at baseball. But unless you're at Kentucky, it's going to be that football hire that really makes it. And then this hire, Brent Pry, um, it could work out really well. He obviously knows the area. He's been a very successful defensive coordinator. I mean, he's not hes not old. He's 51. Uh, LSU just hired somebody a, a decade older. It, it's it's certainly possible um, that, that this will work out. I don't know that this comes with a ton of fanfare, uh, but I, I've been doing this long enough to where and I agree with you. Like I, I would take a shot on an up and coming guy, provided he could show me a plan of who he's going to surround himself with, and, and you know I, I think he's ready. I'm willing to grow with him if he's got superstar potential. But I, a couple of years ago, I, I stopped doing letter grades on jobs. You know, as far as like this is a B plus hire. I just don't know enough. And the schools don't know enough either. Otherwise, they would hit at a higher rate than they do. You know, it, to me, it's either, all right, no doubt. Yeah, like that's obvious. Okay, I get it. Or I don't get it. Right? Like Les Miles, Kansas, I, last year I said, I don't get it. Like that was, uh, I don't think so. Um, Lincoln Riley for me is a no doubt. You can go get Lincoln Riley. Yeah. 
with Brent Pry, I, I guess it's solid coaching, knows the recruiting landscape, decent network guys you can go hire most likely. Um, I think if you like the hire, you probably have some trust in, in, Whip, Beck, in Whip Abcock, who is pretty well respected in the industry as far as somebody uh, who's okay to work for. When when Fuente kind of screwed up and, and publicly met with, with, with Baylor back in the day, right, and flirted with that, and everybody thought he was going to get that job, and they had to come back and they did the uh, everybody with the fake smiles photo in the staff room. They were all committed to the next year. You know, Babcock handled that pretty well. So it is a place where I think people would want to work as far as having him as a boss. Um, how much they're going to spend in recruiting is another question as well. And that's not an easy place to recruit to. I don't know if you've ever been to Blacksburg, but that is not near anywhere. It, it is a significant drive. And other schools have come in and recruited – you know, Tidewater and just the state of Virginia more aggressively than they did at times during the Frank Beamer era. So we'll, we'll see how this and goes. I, guess, I mean, I, I guess that's kind of where I'm coming from. It's like, how do you see yourself? You know, you just try yeah. to get on base and hit a single and be safe. Or are you trying to, you know, see what you can do in a conference outside of Clemson? That's really not offering much. Even, even North Carolina is recruiting. Well, it hasn't been performing to what they've done off the field uh, in terms of talent acquisition. So I don't know. And look, I'm I'm not judging the hire by any means. Like you said, it could be it could be a very good hire. That that would be it's wait and see, right? Me. Right. It's wait and see. It's just, you know, if I'm Virginia Tech, like I always talk about this, whether you're a head coach or whether you're an athletic director, like you gotta have some self-awareness, you know, and there's gotta be a little bit of calculated risk in the hires that you're gonna make in and who you're going to surround yourself with. And I think Virginia Tech is one of those places where it's an attractive enough of a place where you can sell it to somebody, uh, a Billy Napier statue or a Marcus Freeman statue, uh, stature, excuse me, and, and, and be in those races and attract that type of guy there. Um, but in this case, obviously, they, they decided to go in a different direction. That conference is really interesting right now on that side specifically. So Bronco Mendenhall, probably not going anywhere. I don't think Narduzzi's going anywhere. Like certainly not going to be fired. They're, they're playing for the for the conference title this weekend. But I, I don't think he's going to be jumping jobs. And, and but you never know. I guess it, it, it's been a crazy year. Uh, Miami. They're still looking for an AD. Uh, they have not come out and said that Manny Diaz is coming back. Nor have they said he is not coming back. One of the guy, I think the guy who would be the most obvious fit there, if he would say yes to them is playing in a conference title game this weekend. And that's Mario Cristobal. I have to think if you're Miami, you, you make a decision on, on Manny by Sunday, right? I mean, at some point you need to kind of let the guy know you're going to be here or you're not if you want to get on with the early signing period. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a very tough spot to be if you're Miami without an AD trying to obviously come to the conclusion whether or not you're going to keep a coach who, you know, I'm, I'm sure that I'm just guessing here that they'd like to move on from. Um, but in terms of them vetting different options and what support they have behind the program uh, to make sure that they can go out and get done what they need to get done in terms of bringing their guy in. And we, we talked about this kind of a little bit of last week. Like, I think that list is very short. I think it's either Mario Cristobal or I think it's Lane Kiffin. Uh, and I think both of those guys would be heavily interested in those roles. It's just going to be fascinating to see kind of where Miami is at and how much financial support that they have to go out. And it's like, you got to go two feet head first 
into one of these hires. You know, you can't just kind of dibble dabble with it. Uh, and that right now would be my biggest concern. Miami without an AD, do they have their ducks in a row to go get done what they need to get done? And who behind the, who behind the scenes is, is kind of leading that charge on whatever they're deciding to do next? Exactly right. So there are a lot of reports out of there, out of Miami. They're, they're going to be spending a lot more money. I'm sort of wait and see on that. W will they actually? Uh, is that a, it depends on, on who the hire? I mean, there's a lot of Miami writers uh, who think that if Cristobal comes, that they will pump a lot of money into that program. Um, but if you can't get Cristobal or Lane Kiffin, uh, or maybe aren't willing to go on Kiffin, I, I don't know, it may not be the worst thing to keep Manny. I mean, he's not done a terrible job there. They, they just haven't won to the level that, that they expect. They seem to have pretty quality quarterback play coming back in Van Dyke. I mean, I don't think they thought he was going to be a stud, but sometimes things happen. You don't, you don't always know. Recruiting rankings are really good, not necessarily perfect, and, and some guys do outplay theirs. So, you know, we'll, we'll see if uh, we'll see if they can get Cristobal or if they – or maybe, you know, maybe Lane Kiffin, maybe they sit tight. Should be interesting. Uh, yeah. I mean, my thing is is – I mean, we, we've talked about it. You just like commit to it. You know, if you're to spend money, spend money. If you want to be serious, right. we'll take you serious. When you start taking yourself serious, go get a coach that you want, that you think deserves to be there in, in Miami. It's like, what are you doing? You know? And, and that's kind of my frustration with Miami is, I, I don't know. It's just like this identity crisis that they're having, you know, they still think they're, they're early two thousands and uh, the game has changed and it's evolved a lot. Um, and, that place should be one of the, the, the top tier programs in college football. It hasn't been, it's been extremely mishandled uh, over the last decade or so. Um, so I don't know, obviously there's a lot of frustration, even, even as a fan, I can't, can't imagine how an actual Miami fan uh, feels, but there's so, so much opportunity at that place. Um, like we said, we'll have our eyes on that one. We'll, we'll see what they do going forward. Coop. Uh I think if people take any any longer on their lunch break, they're going to get fired. Uh, so <laughs> going to wrap this thing. Really appreciate everybody who, who was hanging out in the chat. Some awesome arguments in there uh, today about whether uh, Lincoln Riley was actually scared of Mike Gundy. Of course, that was, that was pretty solid. Uh, <laughs> but very interesting comments today. Make, make sure you guys scroll back through this. And always entertaining, uh, almost as entertaining, or maybe more entertaining than we were. Don't know. I will see you uh, tomorrow in the recruiting meeting and appreciate it. Sounds good, buddy. Thanks. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road, any road, the steeper the better. Because my all new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. 
So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.